0: And I invite you this morning to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll continue on in our series, chapter 1, verse 12. We'll read through chapter 2, verse 4. As you turn to 2 Corinthians 1, uh, my family and I watched uh, the new movie, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, a few weeks ago. And the, the premise of the movie is that this family... With strained relationships, is brought together as they save the world from a smartphone-led robot uprising. Uh, and by the end of the movie, after they've saved the world, uh, we find that the family isn't just closer, but they're excited to be closer. They're proud to have each other in their lives. Um, now, there's a couple of you know, parents' guidance, parent, parental guidance suggested elements about this movie. I. would share them with you afterwards. You can pre-watch it yourself. Uh, But this kind of movie that's premised on strained relationships being turned into healthy relationships is actually fairly common. I'm sure a lot of our kids have seen Enola Holmes. I know that because I think my kids watched it with a number of them. Uh, Or The Incredibles. Those are stories where The heroes get brought together by a life-threatening event. It's a fairly common character journey because it's a very common part of the human condition. Strained relationships that we want to be healed. Here's why I bring all that up. In our passage this morning, Paul talks about how his goal of ministering in the Corinthian church is to create relationships with them in Christ that are so good— they'll actually want to boast about them to Jesus. Can you imagine relationships that are so healthy you actually want to brag about them to Jesus? That's Paul's goal. And it's also Jesus' goal here at Grace, and we're going to talk about that. But like in the movies I mentioned, that goal just isn't the reality yet. In fact, as we started to talk about last week, Paul is writing to them because their relationships right now are more defined by hurt and distrust, by unjust accusations, the ascribing of bad motives, uh, all the things that just come from having a frayed and damaged relationship. But unlike in the movies, healing is not going to come from some kind of cataclysmic event that brings everyone together. No, healing is going to come from Jesus, and from choosing in Jesus's name and by his grace to prayerfully and honestly and openly put in the hard work necessary to repair their relationships and transform them from run of frustration to one of joy. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Not exhaustively. There's a lot of chapters left. But we're going to at least start looking at uh, what Jesus wants our relationships to be, how he helps us, and what's sometimes required of us to pursue those things. And we're going to do that by looking at these three points from our passage. So uh, what Jesus wants our relationships to be. Our goal is to build relationships that we want to boast about to Jesus. That's our goal. The second thing we'll look at is Jesus' continual yes to building those relationships. And then finally, we'll look at the difficult choices we sometimes have to make to have those relationships. So let's read 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 12, verse two through four. Pray, and then we'll reflect on our passage this morning. Let's listen to God's word. Paul continues from where we left off last week about how we received comfort from God, and he says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to, come back to you, uh, and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? Thus far, the reading of God's own word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which you have uh, written and inspired and preserved for us. Father, we want your word to be written on our hearts so that it forms the way that we speak and think and live. We want to walk by the light it gives to our path. And Lord, we want to speak it to one another as those who believe that uh, your word is life and brings life. But Lord, we know that all of these desires will be unfulfilled unless your spirit works in us. And so Father, we pray that your spirit would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and the meditation of all our hearts as we are all called to hear and to consider and respond to your word, may they all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I wanna look at is uh, Paul's goal of building a relationship with each other in Christ that's so good that we can brag about it to Jesus. And this point is based on what Paul says at the end of verse 14. He says, on that day of, the, of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Uh, the day of the Lord Jesus always means the day when Jesus returns And dead Christians are raised, resurrected into glorified bodies, into a creation that's been fully repaired from all of sin's effects forever. Now, here's why that's important. After our death, but before our resurrection, we Christians will be together in heaven as souls, but not as bodies. And that means that we will be with each other, in joy and in fellowship, but we will not be able to hug or shake hands or look one another in the eye in a way that's recognizable to us because we don't have bodies. We don't have eyes, we don't have arms, we don't have legs. We won't be able to walk with each other or work together or sit and eat together in the ways that we consider fundamental to human relationships because we don't have bodies. And this is why Jesus has to wait until our resurrection before he can eat with us again. Otherwise, he'd be eating with us in heaven when we're there as souls, right? But we can't because souls don't have intestines. They don't have bodies. In other words, when we're in heaven, the Bible is very clear. We're happy, we're together, we are delighted, we're with Jesus, but the Bible's also clear, we aren't whole. The day of the Lord's return is the day when we are made permanently whole, perfect, and glorified. And on that day in the new heavens and the new earth, I think you can probably start to imagine the celebration. Imagine being able to embrace one another again. Being able to look into each other's eyes, pulling up chairs and eating whatever banquet Jesus will give us on that day. And then imagine on that day, Jesus walking around from table to table to table, embracing us, welcoming us into the glories of the new heavens and the new earth. And then imagine us turning slightly to the people at grace, because we're all gonna be sitting at the same table, right? And saying, Jesus, let me tell you how glad I am to be back here with them because I've missed this part of our life together. Let me tell you about how wonderful our time was together and how hard they worked to show me your glory even when I wasn't being the greatest person. Let me tell you about their love. Let me tell you about their compassion. Let me tell you about their empathy and their forgiveness. Jesus, they're the best. I'm so glad we're back together. And then imagine everyone else at the table turning and saying that about you. That's what Paul means when he says, on the day of our Lord Jesus You will boast of us as we will boast of you. But even though that's the goal, and notice it's a goal Paul is confident they'll get to, right, on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us, and we will boast of you. He's confident, but they're not there yet. First, they have to get through this really difficult time in their life together, And here we're moving to our second point, Jesus' continual yes to our relationship. Now to see how powerful Jesus' yes is, we need to look at the backstory here. Uh, In any relationship, but especially important relationships, there's always a backstory. Uh, There's always past conversations, past events, past actions uh, that both form the way we talk to each other and the way we listen to one another. Will we listen with suspicion? Will we listen with humility? And that backstory, as those examples just showed, can be helpful or it can be harmful. And from the passage here, I think you can tell that there is a backstory here that's helpful and harmful. It's both. We see in verses 16 and 17 that there were plans to visit together as Paul was traveling to and from a region of the Roman Empire called Macedonia. In verse 23, you can see that there was a change of plans. And you can tell uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, from how Paul talks, that those visits and those plans and the fact that those plans changed was hard and painful. But that isn't the only backstory here. In verses 13 to 14, Paul talks about previous letters that he had sent to the Corinthians while he was trying to explain the goal of Jesus' ministry among them, and to get their relationship to a place where they could boast about each other to Jesus. Uh, We're going to talk about this more as we go through the book, but just to fill you in enough to generally understand what's happening, when Paul and Silvanus and Timothy planted these churches, there was a tremendous amount of distrust throughout their ministry. Specifically, there were people inside the church, maybe outside the church, who kept accusing them of using the gospel to con people out of their money. You'll see that that accusation actually had staying power and follows them even up to the writing of this particular letter. But that wasn't all. After they got the church established with elders and pastors and deacons, they left, but then they learned that serious divisions and sins had developed in the church. Paul will talk about that more in chapter two, verse five and following. So we'll talk about them more in a couple weeks. But in response to those divisions and sins, Paul sent a letter. We call it 1 Corinthians. And in that letter, Paul said some hard and painful things. He tried to make them face some hard truths about themselves and their actions and what Jesus calls them to do. But Paul didn't just send a letter. He made a visit. He made at least three visits where he tried to bring healing and holiness to their relationship. And in between those visits, he sent another letter and another letter and maybe another letter. Bible scholars are not agreed on if there were two or three more letters. Uh, we don't have those. Uh, we just know they existed from things Paul says in sec- here in 2 Corinthians. But by the way, if God had preserved those letters for us, the book that we call 2 Corinthians would actually be 4 Corinthians or 5 Corinthians depending on how many letters, you can see the amount of time and energy Paul is putting into pursuing a boastable relationship to Jesus in this congregation. And all of these visits and all of these letters, they just appear to be full of hardship and pain. They're full of pleas for confession of sin and for repentance. They're also full of pleas for forgiveness, saying, please forgive the people who've sinned against you. Because during these visits, there were clearly people who were just refusing to forgive because they were accusing each other, at least this is one of the things you'll see in the letter, of the repentance is false. I don't have to forgive them because they don't really mean it. Sometimes that was probably correct, but most of the time it appears like it was false. It was ascribing bad motives and holding on to bitterness in the name of seeking out something that is godly, real repentance. This has brought us far from the picture of boasting to Jesus about one another that uh, you can get, I think. And yet, Paul poured his effort into them and continued to seek them because he was confident that he could get them, that they could get to that place. Why was he confident that this relationship of distrust And anger and multiple visits could get to a place where in the new heavens and the new earth, you turn to Jesus and say, let me introduce you to the greatest people who lived on earth. Well, it's because Paul knows that Jesus doesn't make manipulative promises to us or tell us one thing when he's feeling happy and another thing when he's feeling sad. And so in verse 19, for the son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, The gospel of Jesus, that through repentance, which is turning away from sin, and faith in Jesus, Jesus takes enemies and makes them family. Right? He takes his enemies and through forgiveness, regeneration, adoption, sanctification, by the Holy Spirit, he makes us into family. He takes a people who, as Paul says in Titus, spent our days in malice and envy, hating each other and hated by one another, and through forgiveness and regeneration and adoption and sanctification by the Holy Spirit, makes us family with each other. And Jesus' promise to us is that that Spirit will pour His own love into our hearts, and that He will write His word on our hearts, and that He will build His kingdom of redemption and reconciliation on earth and since the church is that kingdom and is the family of God, he will do that here. And not only that, as Paul says, Jesus gives to each one of his people the Spirit as a guarantee that not one of us will be excluded from his promises. In fact, as Paul says, Jesus is so much with us by his Spirit that he is currently establishing us, that is building us together together. As his people. These are not general promises that are generally true. These are specific promises that are specifically true to each congregation and each Christian in each congregation. Meaning, Jesus is at work today making us not just like one people who happen to get together on Sundays people that are so united to Christ and so transformed by him that on the day when Jesus returns, we'll be able to boast about the life we had together here and rejoice that that life which Jesus has given to us will continue on forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And Paul is saying, I'm shooting for this goal because Jesus has promised it. And all his promises to us are yes and amen. And Jesus lives with us by the Spirit. So I know that this yes to me and yes to you is new every morning. We can do this, Paul says. We can experience the relationship that Jesus wants us to have. But not without hard choices and difficult decisions sometimes. Just because Jesus has promised it doesn't mean the way is easy. As a matter of fact, it's guaranteed to not be easy because where were all of Jesus' promises found at the other side of? the cross. And here we come quickly to our last point, the difficult choices that we prayerfully have to make to pursue to have those relationships. And here I just wanna offer two observations about how Paul pursued Jesus' goal of creating relationships so good that we wanna boast about them to him. And the first is that if we're going to have this kind of relationship that we need to reject manipulation and stinginess, So in verse 12, Paul says that he and Timothy, and I'm assuming also Silvanus too, can boast that, quote, verse 12, we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. The word translated as simplicity means either open-handed generosity or sincere motivation. In other words, It means that when you act, you don't attach strings. You don't give in order to get. It means that you give freely, without the expectation of return. And that's why it also means that when you do things and say things, you aren't hiding your motives. You aren't being manipulative, because what is manipulation? saying one thing, doing something, while hiding what you really want them to do, right? If I say this to them, then they'll do the thing I really want them to do. Now, there's different ways of manipulating people. I think Paul rejects all of them, but the one he explicitly rejects here is something that I can do, that I have done, and that I have been working on repenting of for years, which is telling people what they want to hear so that they stay your friend, but you actually have no intention of following through it all. In other words, saying yes, because you know what they want to hear, but you're actually planning on it being a no. Oh, sure, I'll be there. I forgot, my bad, (laughs) yes, no. This is what Paul means in verses 16 and 17, when he says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and then have you send me on my way to Judea, Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say, yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? Paul says, you can tell from my past life among you that my motives are sincere. I've decided and I've lived among you in a way that gives without strings. I work hard to mean what I say. I don't say yes when I mean no. And that kind of honesty and commitment is hard, I think, because it opens us up to rejection and the conflict and the difficult conversations. But that honest, open-hearted sincerity and generosity are what's required if we're going to have a relationship with Jesus that we can boast about. And that leads me to my second just general observation which is, well, what happens when plans need to change? Because clearly, uh, that's what happened. Uh, Paul had said, yes, I'm going to visit you, but then he changed his mind. That happens, right? Things change. We don't know the future. But just because plans change, that doesn't mean that someone is avoiding you as it appears that they accused Paul of doing, which is why I think Paul talks about vacillation. It seems like someone was, if you're reading between the lines, it appears that people were saying, Well, Paul clearly doesn't really care about us because if he did, he would have come and visited us, but he didn't come and visit us, which shows us that he says one thing when he's here with you and another thing when he's away. He says one thing to your face and another thing by a letter or an email or a tweet or a Facebook post or whatever. That's not what happens here. See, sometimes plans change because events change and you just say, hey, I really thought I could make it, but I couldn't. Other times, plans change because if they didn't change, then needless pain and strain would happen. That's what happened here. As Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, if he had followed through with his original plans, that would have meant another painful visit. Paul changed his mind because he knew that if he had followed through with his original intentions, He would have strained their relationships further in a way that they just did not need to be strained right now. And that shows us that in pursuing relationships that we can boast about to Jesus, sometimes that requires honest, loving confrontation. You're going to see that in the letter. It always requires simplicity and sincerity and motivation. And those are hard decisions to make and live with. Sometimes it requires space and time, which is a hard decision, too, to make and live with. And knowing which to choose is hard. And as the preacher, I get to tell you that we're going to talk about how to discern that in a different sermon because it's a different passage later on in the text. So stay tuned. Um, But changing our minds on which is best is also hard because it can feel like vacillating. Right, which can mean it can seem to other people that they, we don't really want a relationship with them. That's one of the reasons why sometimes we follow through even when we know it's a bad idea, right? Well, if I don't do it, they're going to think I don't love them, even though I know this is going to be a giant nuclear train wreck. But we're going to do it because then they'll know I care. <laughs> right? Uh, this is one of the reasons why Paul was writing this letter. He says, I need to spare you from pain, I want a relationship with you. As I've said since the beginning, I believe the gospel that I preach. It is the power of God for salvation. It is the way that God gives his amen to our life together. It's the way he gives us Jesus. I believe that the gospel of Jesus is real and that Jesus wants to give us a relationship that's so good that we'll boast about it to him in heaven in the new creation. And because I believe that, And because you've seen me live in a way with you that shows that, please believe me when I tell you I changed my plans because it was good for you that I not come. It was good to increase the distance a little bit more, to give you just a little bit more time to think, a little bit more time to pray, a little bit more time to change. And believe that because I want you to chase the same goal that I have which is a relationship that we can boast about to Jesus. My friends, Jesus has the same goal for us here at Grace. He wants us to have a fellowship that is so sweet and so good that we will brag about each other to him in heaven when he comes and visits the Grace Reformed Walkerton table in heaven, because that's how heaven's gonna be divided up, It's plastic tables with little <laughs> things. Uh, no, I need to be clear. I think having sweets fellowship doesn't mean that we all need to be best friends. I think that's important to say. That would be great. I just don't know how a person can have a hundred best friends. But it does mean that we can have a relationship in the body that is so full of trust and love and repentance and forgiveness and empathy. Keeping the microphone, holiness, kindness. Righteousness. That it's noticeable. That we actually fulfill God's promise in the Old Testament, that we can taste and see that the Lord is good through the fellowship of the saints. And this is part of how we get there in Jesus' name and by his grace. We get there by aiming directly at having boastable relationships together, by choosing to show in Jesus' name open hearted sincerity and generosity to each other and by prayerfully discerning when it's time to speak and when it's time to stay silent when it's time to draw near when it's time to give some distance when it's time to keep our plans unchanged and when it's time to change them all wrapped in the motive of what gives us the best chance of living a joyful life together in jesus And we can do all of that together because Jesus is with us. He lives with us. The Spirit is with us. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. And all of God's promises to us in Christ by the Spirit are yes and amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, you love us so much And you've blessed us so greatly in Jesus that we can actually pursue relationships that are so good uh, by your grace that we will be able to boast about them to you in the new heavens and the new earth. Father, please produce in us what we need to chase uh, this goal and this promise. Uh, Give us sincerity and generosity. Give us courage and endurance and patience. Give us wisdom. And most especially, give your love for us to us. Pour it into our hearts so that we can fulfill your command to love each other as you have loved us in Christ. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.